0: All right, that being said, let's get to God's word this morning. Uh, Why don't you stand as we're going to get to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. Need to stand because you just went through a financial presentation. You need to stretch your legs, but also we stand to honor God's word. And it says this, In him, that's Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Hey, I forgot to say this earlier, Transition so quickly to the word, but uh, we'd love for you to come back tonight, 6 o'clock, we are having a Thanksgiving service, one hour service of worship and sharing of the way God has provided for us in abundant ways this year. We'd love to hear how the Lord has provided for you, whether it was a year of just, you were just cheery and joyous all year long, or whether it was a lot of suffering, how you saw the Lord provide in the midst of it. All right, where well, we continue our move, our, our snail's pace, look at Ephesians Chapter 1, we started at verses 11 through 14 last week, and, and we're, this is our second of three weeks in these four verses. And last week we looked and considered how God, in His graciousness and mercy, communicates to us about our inheritance. And in fact, we looked at how there's two different ways in which the, our inheritance is talked about. First, that we are talked about as being God's inheritance, that God looks at us as His treasured possession God gives an inheritance to himself and his inheritance is oddly enough you and I of all things. But not only that, but as his heritage, as his inheritance, he gives us from him a future inheritance. And we looked at how good that inheritance will be. It comes with a new body and a new heart and an unending experience of God's love and we get to rule and reign over, with Jesus over a perfected world. That's the beautiful inheritance that awaits for you in the future. And this is the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. And what we saw last week is that having an understanding of our future inheritance will change and has implications for life today. It has implications for life today. But the news that you will have an inheritance will only change life today to the degree that you have confidence that God is able to give you an inheritance that you have confidence that God is willing and able to keep his promises and give you an inheritance. It's quite different than if I were to tell, promise my kids an inheritance. For example, if I were to go sit my children down this week and tell them about their inheritance and say, kids, a dad owns a property. In fact, it's a beautiful property worth millions and millions of dollars. It's a villa on the coast of Italy, and it's going to be yours one day. My kids will probably not be very excited about that, It won't change their life today very much for two reasons. One, they don't know what a villa is. And second, because their father usually makes them split a order of french fries. And they would be wondering, they would have no trust that dad, this one who is such a cheapskate, would actually own a place worth millions and millions of dollars. But that is not the case for you. We can have confidence that our dad actually owns all things and actually will give us all things and what Paul is addressing here is not simply talking about declaring to us that we have a future inheritance, but Paul also here in these verses wants you to understand that not only are you blessed with the promise of a future inheritance, but you are blessed with the assurance that you will have a future inheritance. It's one thing to be promised something. It's another thing for us to have the experience today that we are assured, that we are confident that we will have That inheritance, that we can live with the security of knowing, of of fearing, of not having fear that what God has promised to us will not be given to us. And so, to eliminate fear, to increase your assurance in God's future inheritance, to increase your joy today, Paul communicates in these verses not just that we have an inheritance, but also how we can be assured. And I'm going to show you and tell you how we can be assured with two points this morning from this text. The first is this, you can be assured of your future inheritance because the Holy Spirit is the seal for that inheritance, the seal for that inheritance. Now we're going to ask a series of questions to help us understand what Paul is talking about here. What is meant by a seal? If I were to tell my kids that God has given you a seal, they would think, that's great, where's the fish that we're going to feed the seal with? We don't usually use the term seal that often, so let's just kind of dive very briefly. How is the word seal used in the context here and in our own um, culture and context? First, a seal declares three things. First, it declares ownership, ownership. So if you see a seal or a mark, it is a sign of ownership. For example, a couple years back, my wife gave me this kind of imprint, this seal maker that I could press on all of my books. If you were to walk through this door here and head to my office, one of the first things people usually say um, about my office when they walk in is they go, wow, have you read all of these books? And the answer is no, but I keep them there so that I look smarter than you. But, so all all those books, a couple years ago, I took this seal and on the front page of all of those books, I took that seal and pressed it upon it so that you would know that if you open that book, Who it belongs to. Which, by the way, this is a side note a number of you have borrowed my books over the years. (laughs) And I plan on coming to your house and doing an audit to find where my books have gone. I understand this is West Georgia, so let me see if I can bring the illustration down to something you might understand a little bit better. Some of you own some cows, or you at least know people who own cows, or you drive past people who own cows. And how do we know if a cow wanders from one field to the other, whose cow that that belongs to? Well, cows are branded. You use a brand, a seal, a marker on the cattle to communicate who owns this cattle. And that's what a seal does. So second, that's one thing a seal does. Second, a seal authenticates or it validates the authenticity of something. In the ancient world... And, I mean, even up into, I'd say, even recent times, uh, someone, if they were sending a letter and they were signing it, in order to, as a means of authenticating that the sender is who he says he is, a king, perhaps, might take hot wax and they would pour it at the bottom of a letter on the outside of an envelope. And then they would take an imprint, a seal, and press it into that hot wax. And that seal would be a means of proving... That, this, that you have received this letter from the, one who see, from the one who declares that he is sending it. Now, we have many modern versions of this today, right? Your money. How do we know our money is authentic? Well, we do various things to seal, to, to show that the money is authentic. There's an imprint that is put on U.S. currency to prove that it's actually real and true. Our driver's license have the same thing. Or prove that it is not a fraud. There's a particular type of seal on it. All of our kind of documentation. The reason why you have to go to a, a notary public. What does a notary public do? They, they sign the document. They put their seal upon it and say, I have witnessed these parties entering into this agreement. This contract is legal. It is authentic. So signed and sealed makes something authoritative. It declares that something is real and true and authentic. That's the second way we talk about a seal. Third way we talk about a seal, a seal can give security as well. If I were to bring to you, if you were to go purchase from the store today a bottle of aspirin and you were to pop the top off and that little film on top of it had a hole punctured in it, would you take that medication? No, if that seal, that's what we call a seal, the top of that, if that seal is broken, that means no touchy, do not take, someone may have messed with this medicine. And the very same way, the whole reason why someone puts the seal there is to protect that medicine from the elements. And so, in the same way, to use that illustration of an envelope that has had hot wax poured on it and have a seal pressed into it, that seal isn't just simply there to declare the authenticity of the letter, but also to seal that letter shut. To say, hey... Unless you're the person whose name was on the front of this, or unless you're the person who is represented by the seal, you cannot open this. We see this scripturally, actually, at, at Jesus' grave. When Jesus dies on the cross and they go to put him in the grave, and the Romans are concerned because of these, the fears the Jews have that, G, that someone come and steal Jesus' body and try to declare that he has been risen from the dead or that he is not dead any longer. So what do they do? They do two forms of sealing. They put a boulder in front of the cave in which Jesus was buried in. That seals it closed. And then it said there was the, the Roman put his seal upon that boulder. In other words, it's physically enclosed, but also the seal declares, hey, the Roman government says, don't mess with this grave. Now, that wasn't really effective in this case because the angel kind of, angels kind of disregard things like that and kind of just went in anyways. But the whole purpose of the seal was to hold it secure, And this is why we seal things. So, sealing means ownership, declares authenticity, and also is a means of holding things secure. So what is it that seals us? What does it say in this passage that seals you and seals us? It says in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with what? The promised Holy Spirit. The beautiful truth, when God wants to declare what he owns, declare what is true, and hold something secure, he doesn't leave it up to somebody else. He does it himself. That the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, would actually come and be the seal in our lives. This is the testimony of the New Testament in other places. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Second Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, it says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And he has also put his seal on us and has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So here's the question. Let's connect. So the Spirit is the seal and the sealer, but he's but we also have just looked at the general definitions or understanding of what is a seal. Now let's connect the two. What does the Spirit do in order to seal us? What does it mean that he, the Spirit has sealed you? Well, it means three things. We're going to take each of those definitions. First, the Holy Spirit declares God's ownership of you. God's ownership of you. You might recall this idea last week, that not only are you given an inheritance, but you are declared to be God's inheritance. And so what God does in order to declare his inheritance as being his possession, as being owned by him, he puts his stamp of ownership, his image upon us. And God does this in an internal way. That, he, that God's longing, he's so good to you. Not only does he say that you're my child, but he sends the spirit to declare, to convince your heart and your soul that you are indeed God's child. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 8 verses 14 through 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but instead you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And here's what the Spirit does in our hearts. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The the, the scene that Paul is describing here is the courtroom scene that a number of years ago when we went to officially adopt our son that we walk into a a judge's courtroom and at the end of that proceeding the judge looks at all the paperwork that we have done in order to ensure that we can adopt our child and then he hammers hammers the gavel and says, Andrew Troy Hindley, you are now their child and this is the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. That the Holy Spirit would come to you and like a gavel gong in your heart, bang, day in and day out, you are God's child. It is not a one-time declaration that you are God's child. It is the ongoing active work of the Holy Spirit to convince you that you are God's child. And that is good news. Because if you are like me, the quickest and easiest way, the way in which I normally wake up and function is as a slave as one who is trying to earn his way into God's good graces. And what the Spirit does is come and says, no, no, I will communicate to your heart and soul. I will convince you, child. You see, I, I can get up week in and week out, and I can look at you over and over again every Sunday and say, you're God's child. You're loved by God. And I can do it till I'm blue in the face, but unless the Spirit of God moves through my words and moves through the words of the Scriptures By the Spirit, in your heart, you will never be confident, never grow in assurance. But that is the gift of the Spirit, to help you be confident, to help you know that you belong to God's family. That is such good news. His seal of the Holy Spirit convinces you that you are possessed by God. Second, the Spirit not only declares ownership of God, but He also authenticates to you that we will have an inheritance And here's how he authenticates it. By giving you evidence in your life, by giving you evidence in your life that God is continuing the work of the Spirit in you. In other words, the Spirit comes to you and says, listen, you're going to look like this. You're going to be beautiful and glorious one day. And so how are we convinced that we're going to be beautiful and glorious one day? Morally right. The Spirit even now begins to give us fruit of a new heart. In fact, that is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, is it not? They are called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You see, when God comes and takes his fancy seal called the Holy Spirit and impresses his image upon you, you begin to look like Jesus more and more. And that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians five twenty two and 23. That the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control where the Spirit is, where the Spirit is pressing in, God's seal and His image into your life, you will find those fruits more and more evident. They authenticate the truth that you will one day be glorious, that you will one day love perfectly, that you will one day have perfect gentleness and perfect self-control. That's great news. That His work in you is real. And lastly, I want you to see that the Spirit holds us secure. Just like a seal holds a letter secure, in Ephesians we see here that God is the one who holds us secure. Because what do we see? Do we press the seal upon ourselves, or does God press us with the seal? A theme of the first part of Ephesians chapter 1 is that we are passive in experiencing all of these blessings. We are passive. God is the one who chooses. God is the one who redeems. God is the one who adopts. God is the one who declares you as holy. God is the one who gives you an inheritance. And God is the one who seals you with the Holy Spirit. You didn't take God's seal and press it onto your chest yourself. God did it to you with his spirit. Which means this that what he is pressing his spirit upon and forming into his image, he will guarantee, he will protect you to the very end. What does it say in our text? What does it say in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14? It says that he is the guarantee until we acquire possession of it. In other words, the Holy Spirit is there to help you persevere. If you wonder... You look at your life and you go, I am tired and exhausted and I don't know if I'm actually going to make it to heaven because at one point I might simply rip off this seal and be done with this whole Christianity thing. God says, that will not happen if you actually have my seal because you didn't put it there and you can't remove it. You can't take it off. And therefore, the, 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 the presence of the Holy Spirit is God's declaration of your future perseverance is the sense that God is not letting go of you and you will not let go of him because of the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what it says in, in the scriptures. Philippians 1.6 says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to perfection until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, until you get the full inheritance, he's going to help you get there. He's going to get you there. So we have this, this great comfort. And here's the good news, that if you have the seal and the mark of God, God is the election monitor, and he's the only one who votes, which means this, this is really good news in this context, there is no fraud possible. No election fraud is possible. There is no fraud. He is the only one who votes. He is the one who validates the voting. That is good news. He's the one who has declared that you will receive an inheritance and he will get you there one day. And so the Holy Spirit is the seal declaring that you are owned by God, that that you are really gods, that you will, he has authenticated the declaration that you will receive an inheritance and he is the one who will protect you and bring you home so that you can enjoy the fullness of that inheritance. But I also want you to see this. That you can be assured of your future inheritance, not simply because of the sealing of the Holy Spirit. But in that sealing, we also get a foretaste of our inheritance. It's not simply a legal declaration or this imprint upon us, but it's also a foretaste of what we have in the future. See, the thing that would give us the most amount of assurance that we will receive an inheritance is not simply being told over and over and over again, Hey, you're going to get an inheritance in heaven. That's good news. Inheritance in heaven, that's awesome news. But here's how you really get assured, is if you begin to taste and experience the riches of the blessing of that future inheritance today. You see, the only reason or the only way my kids would be convinced that I own a villa in Italy that I'm going to give them one day is if I take them on vacation to that place. We don't understand this. We don't understand why he would make us split french fries. But my gosh, dad might be rich. He might actually have an unbelievable inheritance for us one day. And this is the truth of the scriptures here in verse 14. What does it say? The promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. The guarantee of our inheritance. It said the same thing in 2 Corinthians 1, which we already read this morning. We are given a guarantee. Now, that word guarantee in the Greek, it could be better understood, we think of it maybe as a deposit. You know when you kind of give a a deposit uh, when you enter into an agreement of some sort? Perhaps the place where you do this most often is if you go stay in a hotel. And you show up at that hotel and you check in for your hotel room, and what's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to say, give me the credit card. Because just in case you decide to go all crazy rocker on your room and throw furniture everywhere and tear everything up, they need your credit card there as a deposit for the incidentals that you might incur while you're there. But that's not the right way to think of this. The right way to think of this is actually to think of it as earnest money. That this is not simply just a in case. It's there. You can't really use it. The hotel can't really use your credit card unless there's a real reason for it. No, this is more like earnest money. I've become quite familiar with earnest money in the last couple of weeks. We just bought a new house, sold a house, and moved, which with moving with four children, I think, should be against the Geneva Convention. It's some form of torture that we have endured for the last couple of weeks, and we did it. It was self-inflicted. I apologize. I, I have, with weeping and gnashing and repentance, I've done such a foolish thing by moving with four kids. But earnest money... The, the tradition in, in, our, in the way we buy houses, you go to somebody and say, I want to buy your house, and I will pay you this much. And so that you can know that I will pay you that full amount, I'm going to give you the first 1% of the full payment. Now, that payment is not simply a deposit. That 1% that I gave the owners of the house that we purchased was the first of. God forbid, unfortunately, 30 years of many, many more payments that I will make. It, in other words, it was earnest money. It was, the, fir- it was a, the first of many payments. You can think of it like this. The Holy Spirit is a foretaste of our future inheritance. He's the earnest money, the guarantee that, that, we're, that God is going to give us the rest of the inheritance. If you think of it like this, that perhaps you're, you're, a, you're a trust fund kid. And you have been told that you're gonna come into the inheritance of enormous, incredible wealth, billions of dollars. And yet, it, it, you cannot, in the trust fund, you cannot receive that inheritance until you're 25 years old. But as a part of the contract, to help you convince you and to help you remind you that you're gonna be the beneficiary of this inheritance every year that you are given $100,000 from the trust, that's what this is like. The Holy Spirit is there to convince you and to assure you of your future and the inheritance that is yours by giving you a foretaste of your future wealth. A foretaste of your future wealth. And so the Holy Spirit is both a seal and he is the first payment. He is the, indeed, as as the scriptures talk about him, the first fruit. This is what it talks about in Romans chapter 8, verse 23. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, it says. That's what that means. And the Spirit is the first taste we get of the inheritance we can have in heaven. And so my question for us as believers is how can you right now, in a way of encouraging and assuring your heart, it, we are called, Peter says, to make your calling and election sure. In other words, as a part of that is make your assurance that you will have an inheritance. Make that a sure thing in your heart. How do we engage with the Holy Spirit in such a way that we become more assured? How do we do that? How can you grow in assurance? In fact, that's a command to make your calling and election sure. And so while the Holy Spirit does his work, there's a way in which we can participate in this in in encouraging our hearts to greater assurance. And so here's how, I'm going to give you three suggestions this morning to close. Three applications. And how we can apply this idea that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a seal, as our future inheritance. And how you can, can draw that into your heart and your life so that you grow in assurance. The first is this. That you can taste and enjoy the first fruits of our inheritance in the future by listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. By listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We already read from Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16, where it talks about we didn't have received a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of sonship, where we, the spirit cries in our hearts, Abba, Father. And then it says this in verse 16, that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Paul repeats this exact same idea in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, when he says this, And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Here's my question. God says this is part of the, the Holy Spirit's sealing work to declare for you to hear that God owns you. The question is this, are you listening? That's how you participate. That's how you grow in assurance. Are you listening? God says the Spirit is speaking. But have you have you allowed your life to become so busy and allowed the noise of the world become so cacophonous in your ears that you can no longer hear the Spirit? Paul says this elsewhere. He says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And here's what it means to quench the Holy Spirit in this context. It means to stick your fingers in your ear and the Holy Spirit is running around trying to convince you of your sonship and you're going, la, 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 la. No, I'm a slave. That's how I'm supposed to live. That's how you quench the Holy Spirit. And practically, what it means is you fill your life with social media and with podcasts and audiobooks and ever ending, never ending schedule and activity to where you can never be quiet and never hear the voice of the Spirit. And most specifically, where does the Spirit speak to us? Where, where do we most profoundly will we hear the Holy Spirit speak? It's in the Word of God. That's what the Spirit most commonly, most normally speaks to us to assure you of, that you're God's child. So are you listening? Are you opening the word? Every once in a while, I have this moment where I hit a point of pastoral frustration where we will be talking about doing all kinds of different ministry activities and I have kind of like a, wait, stop, throw everything out. Because I realize I have people walk in my office and they're distressed and depressed and anxious. And I ask them, Hey, are you spending any time in God's Word? Are you hearing from the Lord? And they're going, yeah, That's just not a habit I'm really keeping up with very well in now. And so I'll walk into Andy's office and I'll go through an utter pastoral tirade and I'm like, How do we get these people to read? If we could just do one thing, how do we get them to hear the word of God over and over and over again? Because until I can do that, there's not much else I can talk to you about. And so get in the word, long to hear, to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Second, how you can grow your heart in assurance by engaging the sealing work of the Holy Spirit is look for the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Look for the fruit of the Holy Spirit. For some of you, your discouragement as a Christian is because while you believe that Jesus has died for your sins, that, that is, you, you've come to a place where that is all you think you have to believe. But don't you understand that the gospel is much bigger than simply Jesus died for your sins? One of the promises of the gospel is that God by his spirit will bear fruit in your life. Now, when I usually, when I come to you and say, man, here's how you can, you, here's how the Spirit helps you be assured he produces fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness. And here's the initial reaction of slaves. Oh, I don't, I'm not that loving. I'm just not that joyous. Oh, man, I'm just not that patient. Because you're focusing on as if you have to produce the fruits. It's the fruit of Andrew. It's the fruit of Aaron. It's the fruit of Meredith. No, it is the fruit of the Spirit. And the way you produce fruit is to trust that the Spirit is going to do these things in your life. You believe not simply that Jesus died on the cross. You also believe that the Spirit is actually doing what He said He's doing in your life. So one of the ways in which you can grow in assurance is to go to the Spirit, go to God the Father and say, God, would you show me the places where I am increasing in love? Because God knows I yelled at the kid yesterday, and I don't understand. My, the evidence is, I'm struggling with the evidence. So you promised that you would build and produce the fruit in my life, so you got to show me. So God, show me where you're producing more fruit in my life. This is a way in which you could be encouraged. One of the, a couple years ago, I, there was a, a significant change in the way I did my prayer life. And it's a structural thing, but I went to using prayer cards and so that I could have ongoing new prayer cards. I'd have a prayer card for each of my kids and a prayer card for, you know, very specific people in the church. And then I would have a prayer card for various things in my life, a financial provision. And I would have this specific prayer request. But then with that, I could track prayer stories where I could say, man, I've been praying about this. For, and I could write on the card, here's where I saw God answer that prayer. And what, wouldn't you know? Suddenly in my life, I started to see him answer prayers. I think he was answering them before, but I just simply wasn't paying attention to it. And wouldn't you know, I think God might be making you a more loving and joyous and peaceful and patient person, but you aren't actually paying attention to it. So could you ask the Spirit to show you where he's producing fruits? That would be good news for your assurance. And then lastly, last thing I would ask you to do, in order to increase your insurance, your enjoyment of the sealing work of the Holy Spirit, is enjoy the physical sign of the Holy Spirit that is given to you. Now here, we're going to go to a place that some of you are going to be really uncomfortable with. And here's what I mean by this. Take the sacraments and enjoy them. The sacraments are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, sacraments are something that has fallen on hard times in the church. In the past, we made almost too much of an issue of them. But in modern response to the mothership, the Roman Catholic Church, we have put almost no emphasis on the sacraments. Here's what a sacrament is, so you can understand. The Heidelberg Catechism says this. Heidelberg question 66 said, what are the sacraments? And there's an answer. The sacraments are visible, holy signs and seals. Ooh, that's familiar. Appointed of God for this end that by the use thereof, that's fun language, that he may more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. In other words, what's the purpose of sacraments? They're to declare. Did you know that God gives us more than one form of declaration of the gospel? He gives you the declaration of the gospel in his word, but along with his word, he gives you physical, visible, tangible signs that you can touch to remind you and to declare to you what God has done on your behalf. That's really cool. In other words, the sacraments are the gospel made visible. I come and try to give you the gospel in word. The Lord's Supper and baptism are the gospel made visible. It's showing you, and this is God's goodness to us. Do you see the multi-level approach, how committed God is to convincing your heart that he loves you? One, he dies for you. He promises you, that he's going to give you an inheritance. He then sends his spirit to do a work to help convince your heart that you're going to have an inheritance. And then he follows up the work of the spirit by then giving us signs and seals, physical things that we can touch, water that is poured on our head, bread and juice that we drink on a regular basis to remind us that the spirit has done and to remind us what Jesus has done. Overlapping means of trying to convince our heart that we have an inheritance and that God loves us. And specifically, I want to speak about baptism. Because what is signified in the sacrament of baptism, when someone comes before us and professes their faith and we pour water on their head, that's strange, isn't it? I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What baptism is signifying is that you have received the physical sign that says that God by His Spirit has cleansed you God, by his Spirit, has forgiven you. God has redeemed you. That God has also, by the Spirit, convincing you that you will have an inheritance. Baptism is the initiatory right that you are God's child, that you belong to his family. That's what it's saying. It's even a physical sign what the Spirit of God is doing in your heart and life. And it's a seal, just like a king would press in to a stamp, into hot wax, his image, so baptism gives you this physical seal that you look and you can look back on and say, God declared that over me. He did that. So that you would be convinced. So remember the day of your baptism. Now let me give you some specific applications of this for a few different people in the room. If you believe that Jesus That God, through Jesus Christ, has forgiven your sins, redeemed you, and you believe that one day he's going to give you an inheritance in heaven, and yet you've never been baptized? You should come tell us because we want to baptize you. Not just because we like to throw water at people. It it gives me no jollies to throw water at people. It's a weird thing. But it's a beautiful thing because it's not me doing anything. God is simply using me as a tool to say, I have given my church this physical sign that I get to declare over you by that baptism, you are God's possession. You are His. And so if you haven't been baptized, you should be baptized. If you have been baptized as an adult, you came by your profession of faith. My goodness, whenever we do baptism, would you make it a really intentional thing to go, I remember my baptism? You see, when do, when do you most remember your wedding vows? It's so when you go to a wedding. You remember your wedding day. And so whenever we, we celebrate baptism here, the encouragement would be, would you remember the day in which God put his sign upon you? A physical sign, a specific day where you can remember, God declared this over me, that I am washed clean, that I am his possession. He authenticated my salvation is true. And then, if I could speak very specifically To the very few of you who, like me, were baptized as children, which you should have been. (laughs) If you were raised in a believing household, then you should have been baptized as a child. And here's what I would say to you. You remember this, that God chose you before the foundation of the earth, before you declared faith. Jesus died for you before you declared faith. God pursued you in your mother's womb before you declared faith. And God placed his sign and seal of ownership upon you before you could even express faith. That's good news. And while I don't remember my baptism, I can can remember the fact, this beautiful truth, that before I can remember anything, God was saying over me, Andrew Henley, you are my possession. I'm authenticating you as part of my family. And I'm going to hold you close to me. And you know what my job is to do with that? To respond in faith. To say, isn't that amazing? That God would be always the pursuer. He would be even willing to put his de- declaration and seal upon me before I have walked an aisle. He is so good. And he's so good to you. That he would give you something, a day, a placard, a, a certificate that you could look at and say, that's the day he declared over me. So would you remember that? That God owns you, he possesses you, and he has a beautiful inheritance coming for you. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that we, by faith, believe the promises, not simply that Jesus died for my sins. <laughs> but Lord, there are some in this room who are struggling with the fruits of the Spirit. We, have, we, are, we are taking the fruit of love and trying to clip it onto the tree, trying to convince ourselves Oh, Lord, would, you, would we be willing to trust that your spirit is actually going to form love and joy and patience and gentleness in us? Come and show us, reveal to us by your spirit that you're authenticating our faith with good works and with fruit. God, would you come and convince our enslaved, orphaned hearts that we are indeed your children and that you have a wonderful inheritance for us in heaven? And God, would you hold us fast? as we've already sang this morning, that you would secure us and take your hands upon us and place your seal that would protect us so that we one day would not simply get a foretaste of your glory and of our inheritance, but the whole shebang. In the meantime, God, would we work and labor hard to put ourselves in places where we can hear from you, where we can remember what you've said to us, where we can affirm the goodness of what you have done and what you're doing in and through us by producing fruits, Would you do this in us and we'll be labor hard to that end. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.